Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio. How the tech are you? As you can probably tell from my voice, I am not Jonathan Strickland. My name is Bridget Todd, and I'm the host of iHeartRadio's tech and culture podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet. Jonathan is actually the executive producer of my podcast, and he was kind enough to pass me the mic in honor of Women's History Month. Because talking about the ways that women have shaped technology is kind of my jam. On my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, we talk all about the overlooked ways that women, people of color, trans folks, queer folks, and everybody in between has helped shape what technology looks like and what it means to be online. Women have architected much of the infrastructure of technology and the internet, but for lots of reasons. For one, women being more associated with software as opposed to hardware, which is a bit more difficult to preserve. And of course, good old-fashioned sexism, our contributions go easily overlooked. So in honor of Women's History Month, I'd like to tell you about two women who have been foundational to shaping what it looks and feels like to be online. So let's start with my girl, Susan Kerr, and talk about how a sculptor with no tech background changed the history of personal computing. Susan Kerr is an artist and graphic designer, best known for her interface elements and typeface contributions to the very first Apple Macintosh, where she worked from 1983 to 1986. She was Apple's 10th employee. Susan Kerr helped design a big part of what it looks like to use a computer, and you can still see her legacy today. Remember that iconic episode of Sex in the City when Carrie Bradshaw's laptop computer crashes and she gets that sad Mac face? Well, that sad Mac was designed by Susan Kerr. So if you've spent any time at all around Macs, then you know Susan Kerr's work. You should definitely Google a picture of what Susan Kerr looks like in the 80s because there is an iconic image of her that you should definitely see. She's got an amazing, like, curly afro. She's wearing the slouchy gray sweatshirt and the slouchy jeans. She's got her feet kicked up on her desk at Apple, and her feet are right next to one of those amazing, gray, boxy, early Apple computers. Definitely look it up. It is an amazing, iconic image. So Kerr first got interested in graphic design after her mother taught her needlepoint and embroidery as a child, uh, which works in small grids. It just so happened that I had small black and white grids to work with, she recalls. The process reminded me of working with needlepoint, knitting patterns, and mosaics. I was lucky to have had a mother who enjoyed crafts. So needlepoint and crafting, you know, these pursuits that we kind of think of as traditionally feminine, really shaped Susan Kerr's work in technology. This is actually one of the reasons why I love Susan Kerr's story and legacy so much, is that she didn't have a traditional tech background. I think so often, particularly for women, it can feel like if you're not an engineer or a coder, you don't really have a place in tech. But that attitude is incorrect, not to mention very limiting. Technology shapes so much of our lives that we all deserve to see ourselves meaningfully and authentically reflected within it. And Susan Kerr is a great example of what I mean. 
because she didn't really have a lot of experience with technology or even computers when she first started working at Apple back in 1983. At that point in her life, she made money and got experience taking pro bono graphic design jobs, making holiday cards and invitations. She then started working as a sculptor, but didn't like it because she found it to be too solitary of an artistic pursuit. A fact that I love about her story is that she had been elbow deep working on a life-size sculpture of a hog when she first got the call from Apple's Andy Hertzfield. Andy Hertzfield was a member of the original Apple Macintosh development team in the 80s, and he had gone to high school with Susan Kerr. He asked Susan to hand-draw some icons and fonts to help inspire the budding Mac interface. This was a completely new concept for Susan Kerr. She said that she didn't know the first thing about designing typeface, but Hertzfeld had an idea. He told Kerr to find the smallest graph paper that she could find, then block out 32 by 32 inch squares to fill with color to come up with designs, since the matrix that she'd be designing in was essentially a grid. And lucky for Susan, her mother had taught her needlepoint, and those needlepoint skills came to her rescue. Bitmap graphics are like mosaics and needlepoint and other pseudo-digital art forms, all of which I had practiced before going to Apple, she told an interviewer in 2020. Susan Kerr's legacy endures today. She came up with the concept of associating unique document icons with their creator applications, like a little image of a paint bucket being the thing that you click to fill a surface with color, or little scissors meeting cut. For the copy function, she initially tried using a copy machine that users were meant to drag and drop onto their file to make a copy, but rendering a copy machine was kind of tough to render at scale. She also tried to use a cat looking in a mirror to demonstrate copy, but I guess that was just like too clunky of an image. So you might be thinking, is this really such a big deal? Is this really a big part of computers and technology? Yes, because keep in mind, this was during the very early days of personal computers. At that time, they were still these big, clunky nightmares that seemed difficult to use, and they were really more inclined toward engineers or mathematicians, not regular people using them in their house. All of the tasks that you want to do in a computer, like throwing a file in the trash or clicking a little disk to save a file, were not necessarily immediately obvious to people who were using computers for the first time. And so having those functions be simple and accessible was a big part of why personal computing took off in the first place. Apple specifically wanted to demystify the process of using computers by having user-friendly interfaces that care was foundational to designing. And she also wanted to humanize the experience of using a computer to reduce stress for folks who might have been using them for the first time. Which is why when those old-school Macs booted up, the first thing that a user saw was the happy Mac image of a little computer with a smiley face. Or, in the case of Carrie Bradshaw, if something bad happened, you would get the dreaded sad Mac, a computer with a frowny face. Or if you were having a really bad day, you might get that bomb icon for when your system was crashing. A cool thing to know about Susan Kerr is that even though she is very much part of tech history, she is very much alive today and still a big part of technology. And I think it's so great when we're able to celebrate our icons and our, our historical heroes while they're still here. Susan Kerr works at Pinterest today, where you're probably also familiar with her designs. She designed the image that is modeled after a pushpin to symbolize pinning something on Pinterest and that spinning button that appears when you refresh the app. Today, Susan Kerr's notebooks are part of the permanent collections of the New York and San Francisco Modern Art Museums, and one was recently included in the recent London Design Museum exhibit called California, Designing Freedom. Ellen Lupton, senior curator of contemporary design at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum, told the Smithsonian.com, when Susan Kerr helped create Apple's user-friendly interface in the early 80s, 
computers started speaking in pictures instead of lines of code. Her bitmapped icons made people feel welcomed and safe, even when the system crashed and gave you a drawing of a bomb. Kara's original bitmapped icons, built from little black squares, were eventually replaced with colorful, more elaborately illustrated icons, yet the core thinking remains the same. And Kara's continued to create warm and accessible imagery for a range of tech companies, including Pinterest, where she works today. What's interesting about Susan Kara's designs are the ways that she's really shaped how we think of and use computers in general. You know, when I was growing up writing term papers on my dad's clunky gray desktop in our computer room, I had to manually hit the save button every few minutes. And the save button was a little icon of a floppy disk. And even though we no longer use floppy disks, I have not seen one or held one for many, many years, and we no longer have to hit save manually every five minutes because things save automatically, the icon for save is still a floppy disk. Kara told the Smithsonian about her time at Apple, I loved working on that project. Always felt so lucky for the opportunity to be a non-technical person in a software group. I was awed by being able to collaborate with such a creative, capable, and dedicated team of engineers. So I love talking about all the overlooked figures in our history of tech and the internet. Their stories can tell us a lot about how their identities often determine who gets remembered and who gets overlooked, even when they literally change the history of personal computing, like Susan Kerr, or when they literally change the world, like Lynn Conway did. So who is Lynn Conway? Lynn Conway is an 85-year-old professor emerita at the University of Michigan of College of Engineering, and she had a big hand in contributing to the modern-day internet and smartphones. And because of her identity and good old-fashioned sexism and transphobia, her contributions were almost overlooked completely, even though Lynn Conway literally changed the world. Conway was born in 1938 and was assigned male at birth, but from an early age, she knew there was more to her story as it pertains to gender. Her mom was studying anthropology at Columbia, and she would flip through her mom's textbooks looking for answers, telling Michigan Engineering News in a really beautifully written profile about her life, it seemed like people in other cultures had found different ways to deal with what I knew I was feeling. But then that became scrambled with the thought that what I was feeling was that I was gay, but no one ever talked about those things. When Lynn Conway was 14, she read a news story about a former army private, Christine Jorgensen, the first person in the United States to publicly announce a gender transition. I knew then what I had to do, Conway said. So given what we know about how narrowly society viewed gender in the 50s and the 60s, and to be honest, even today, as you can imagine, Conway's journey was very difficult. She initially tried to transition while studying at MIT in the 50s. She started taking hormones on her own and asked a friend in medical school if he could help her find a doctor who could help her. The friend took her to the dean, who told her that if she didn't stop taking hormones, she would be put in a mental institution. Fear of being institutionalized or arrested was a big concern for Conway, because being trans was strongly associated with being mentally ill and criminal behavior. If you were openly trans, you could end up institutionalized or even arrested in some places. Which, again, it's so sad to think that we really maybe haven't come as far as we would like. After this disappointing turn of events at MIT, she put transitioning in the back of her mind. She got married, she became a parent, and she started working at IBM. At this point, Lynn seemed to kind of have a picture-perfect life from the outside. She was making major moves and innovations in she was making major moves and innovations in design at IBM, which at the time was the seventh largest corporation in the world. While there, by all accounts, she was kicking ass. She invented a hardware protocol that enabled the out-of-order command processing that most computers still use today. But all of this, all of these strides that she had been making, was put into jeopardy because of transphobia. And that transphobia would alter the trajectory of her life. 
Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Conway learned about the pioneering gender transition work of Dr. Harry Benjamin, an endocrinologist and sexologist, known for his clinical work with trans folks and decided that she wanted to work with him. What's very heartbreaking is that according to this profile in Michigan Engineering, Conway and her then spouse had worked on a solid plan together for how Conway's transition would work within their family. They would get a divorce and Conway would start working with Dr. Benjamin to transition. She would pay child support from her IBM salary and stay in the children's lives. They decided the children would call her aunt. 
And according to a really compelling Forbes piece by Jeremy Alessandri, Conway's immediate family and IBM's divisional management were actually pretty accepting and supportive for the time at first. However, when IBM's corporate medical director learned that Conway was planning to transition in 1968, he told then-CEO Thomas J. Watson Jr., who fired Conway, to avoid the public embarrassment of employing a trans woman. Getting fired from IBM had a huge impact on Conway's life. It started kind of a downward spiral that ended up being completely destabilizing. She had to divorce her spouse while losing her income, which made everything that much more difficult. California social services tried to keep her away from her kids, and Conway's ex-spouse decided that she didn't want to have any contact with Conway because she was worried that if Conway was in her life, the kids would be taken by the state. Her children were just babies at the time, two and four years old. This was crushing. Conway recalls, that tore me up, let me tell you. The hardest part about the whole thing was that I felt like a mom to them, she told Michigan Engineering. So she knew this was going to be a tough process, and she relied on the lessons that she learned from her lifetime love of outdoor adventures like canoeing and rock climbing to steady herself mentally and emotionally. As she described it, now I had a plan to get across the river. I could see the steps I had to make. I could see the dangers and how to protect against them. The only problem was I didn't know where I'd end up on the other side. So even though it cost her her family and her career, she continued to work with Dr. Benjamin to transition. As a lot of trans folks will tell you, the logistics of changing your name, getting new identification and paperwork can be a big part of navigating trans identity so that you can work and earn an income, have a bank account, get a place to live. But even today, this process is complicated and sometimes prohibitively expensive. Sadly, many trans folks do not have the support or resources they need to navigate it. According to the National Transgender Discrimination Survey, only one-fifth of trans folks who have transitioned have been able to update all of their IDs and records, and one-third haven't been able to update any of their IDs or records. Luckily, Conway was able to use connections that Dr. Benjamin had in Oakland to get this process done quickly, which was especially important back then in order to avoid suspicion that could turn unsafe. Conway recalls, You were an undocumented alien from Mars. You didn't have a birth certificate. How are you going to get a job? This was the 60s. You can think of it like being a spy in a foreign country. If you were found out, you'd be dealt with immediately, if not by the police, then people on the streets. So it's probably clear why after transitioning, Conway started what she refers to as the stealth phase of her career. In 1969, Conway changed her name, hid her gender identity, and started looking for work in computing, eventually finding a job as a contract programmer, then later worked at Memorex, and then she landed the big account at the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, which was a huge deal. Again, she started kicking ass like she always did, just like she did back at IBM before being fired. Her work completely revolutionized how microchips were designed. She's sometimes called the hidden hand for that work, and it led to the tech revolution in the 1980s, and is the reason why we have smartphones and personal computers. But even while she was accomplishing all of these important innovations, she couldn't really own them because of her identity. In a piece for the Huffington Post, Conway called this time in her life stealth mode, where she kind of just purposely stayed behind the scenes despite creating innovations that literally changed the world. Because during this time, her trans identity was not public knowledge. She only told her closest friends, HR administrators, and security clearance administrators. She purposely made herself scarce and stayed behind the scenes, hence the nickname The Hidden Hand. And that meant a lot of her accomplishments and innovations did too. Transphobia almost kept us from having a full accounting of this important history and technology. So how did Conway's contributions start being made public? 
Well, in 1999, a computer historian began investigating Conway's early innovations at IBM, which tipped her off that others were taking credit for the work that she had done on IBM under a different name. Conway wanted to correct the record, but in order to do so, she would need to open up about her identity and explain why somebody with a totally different name had made all of these big accomplishments that she was saying were actually hers. She ended up telling the computer historian and then quietly added a, quote, gender transition section to her personal website. And this decision is what really sparked the next chapter of her life as an advocate for trans rights. The list of ways that Lynn Conway has advocated for other trans folks is very long. She's given support and assistance to many trans women going through transition. She's also been an advocate for employment protections for trans folks. But one thing that I really love is how Lynn Conway is still making big changes for trans folks working in tech today. In 2013, Conway successfully lobbied the board of directors at the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineering, which is essentially like a code of ethics for the engineering profession, to include trans folks. And that means it impacts the world's largest engineering professional society. Conway's story actually has a pretty happy ending. After 50 years of silence in October 2020, IBM invited staff to an event called Tech Trailblazer and Transgender Pioneer Lynn Conway in conversation with Diane Gerson. Gerson was IBM's Senior Vice President of Human Resources. The event started with a formal apology to Conway for her firing 52 years earlier. Conway said that she struggled to hold back tears. Not only did they apologize, but they also recognized the immense contributions to IBM's work that had just gone unattributed. Dario Gill, director of IBM Research, presented Conway with a Lifetime Achievement Award given to individuals who have changed the world through technology innovations. Gill noted that Lynn's extraordinary technical achievements helped define the modern computing industry and that she paved the way for how we design and make computing chips today and forever changed microelectronics, devices, and people's lives. IBM acknowledged that after Conway was fired in 1968, that her research still aided IBM's success. In 1965, Lynn created the Architectural Level Advanced Computing System 1 simulator and invented a method that led to the development of the Super Scholar computer. This dynamic instruction scheduling invention was later used to computer chips, greatly improving their performance, a spokesperson said. Lynn Conway recalls of the event, instead of just being a resolution of what happened in 1968, it became a heartfelt group celebration of how far we've all come since then. So Lynn Conway is actually still very much alive today. She lives on 24 beautiful acres of meadow, marsh, and woodlands in rural Michigan with her husband, where they spend all of their time exploring and playing in the outdoors, like truly living her best life. And she's still an activist. You can follow her on Twitter at Lynn Conway. And one thing I also want to add, trans folks deserve to live full lives that account for their contributions and brilliance, regardless of where they are on their journeys. Transition means different things to different people. It can be personal, medical, or legal steps, telling one's friends and family or coworkers, using a different name or pronouns, dressing differently, changing one's name on legal documents, etc. As I mentioned before, it can be prohibitive for many, and trans folks deserve to live full lives even if they are not able to transition the way that Dr. Conway did. And I just love Dr. Conway's story because it's a good example of how living history is all around us. We can't let sexism, transphobia, and racist systems erase all the accomplishments of marginalized people. And I gotta end Lynn Conway's story with this great quote from her Huffington Post piece. Bottom line, if you want to change the future, start living as if you're already there. And her story is one that really inspires me. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to me to really tell the stories of the contributions of women who have shaped technology, even if those contributions and voices go overlooked. 
Because I used to think of technology as a big boys club where women and other marginalized people were trying to break their way in. But that's not actually true. Anytime you use a computer, it's because of the contributions of women. Women were involved at every single step of the process of personal computing becoming what it is today. And if you don't always hear our stories or our voices, it's not because we weren't there. We need monuments to all the different ways that women have shaped what it means to be online and use technology. So join me as I build them. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Todd, host of iHeartRadio's There Are No Girls on the Internet. And thanks so much to Jonathan Strickland and Tari Harrison for the opportunity to share these stories with you. It really means a lot. Happy Women's History Month! Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com.